Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainer writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, June 18th, 2022. I uh, want to stress right from the get-go, folks, that this will be a shorter show than Drew and I usually do, and that's largely because Mr. Taylor is still recovering from COVID. In fact, I, I want to thank Drew for <laughs> making a heroic effort today. Just showing up is, is you, you get points, Drew. Uh, you know, so, okay, good. And but again, at the same time, I, I, given the news, and it's been a, a huge uh, animation news week. I mean, just the fact that the Annecy Animation Festival just wrapped up in in France earlier today, right? It started on Monday this week. Yes, lots of news to share. So, uh, speaking of the news, though. Uh, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Now, again, as I mentioned earlier, Drew and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, June 18th, which is the day after Pixar's latest, Angus McLean's Lightyear, arrived in theaters. And I know you're not necessarily a fan of what Rotten Tomatoes does, the freshest rating, the, the aggregation of the critics, what the critics are saying, and also the audience score. But I, I wanted, before we get started here, to just sort of lay some numbers out here, that, that right now, Lightyear over at Rotten Tomatoes has a 77% freshness rating, which is a considerable step down from the 94% freshness rating that Pixar's previous release, Turning Red, got. Which, by the way, let's remember, that wasn't released theatrically. That debuted on Disney Plus back on February 21st of this year. Also, Luca, the Pixar film that came out before Turning Red, which again also debuted on Disney Plus one year ago today, Drew. Did you see they put all they put all the special features on the Disney Plus did, version? Did they really? So if you never if you never bought the home video version and you didn't see the the special features or listen to uh, Enrico's commentary track, you can do that now on Disney Plus. Well, now I know what I'm doing with my Saturday night. Okay, <laughs> that also got a higher freshness rating than than Lightyear. Luca was 91. percent It would go a little further back than that. Pixar's Soul, which also debuted on Disney Plus December 25th, 2020. That also had a higher freshness rate lightning than, than Lightyear. That's 95% versus 77%. Only Pixar's Onward, which got an extremely abbreviated theatrical run back in March of 2020, uh, before the p- pandemic basically shut down theatrical distribution worldwide, that got a freshness rating that was kind of in the same neighborhood as Lightyear, 88% versus 77%. On the other hand, if we compare the audience scores over at Rotten Tomatoes, that's where it gets a little interesting. Uh, Onward comes out on top at 95%, 88% for Soul, 87% for Lightyear, Luca is 85 and then 72% for Turning Red. So in this case, Lightyear's in the middle of the pack, though Turning Red's audience score is artificially lower because of the whole troll factor. But Drew is the guy who wrote the art of book for Pixar's Onward. You got to be thrilled to see that Dan Scanlon film get as high an audience score as it did. I love that. Yeah, I mean, basically what people remember from Onward is the book. So, you know, I think that's really the thing that everybody sort of took away from that one. All right. But but to be fair here, I, I want to mention that when I was at Dayton Disney Anna last weekend, I actually encountered a family that was cosplaying. As the Lightfoots. 
Oh, that's so great. You know, um, Melissa came dressed as Ian. Her boyfriend was dressed as Barley. And Melissa's mom actually came as Ian and Barley's mom, Laurel Lightfoot. And by the way, great, great outfits. They actually took home the prizes for best family costumes at Dayton Diziana's annual costume contest. But back to Lightyear now. I bring up the Disagnus Clane movie's freshest rating and audience score because... So we have the preliminary ticket sale. Now, these are projected ticket sales or actual or estimated? I think, I don't know if they're projected. I, I was going to try to see if there was some updated numbers okay. or anything. Okay. Um, but it looks like it's a, it's a pretty wild weekend. I mean, there's a, there's a holiday on Monday for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and there is not some concrete mm-hmm. numbers. But preliminarily, it looks like it is coming in under projections yeah and what trades were saying and what industry and deciders were saying that lightyear was supposed to open in north america with ticket sales somewhere between 70 and 85 million dollars but again based on these these numbers that are coming in at this point and again this is estimated box office for friday and saturday they're now talking about pixar's latest during its opening weekend in north america only doing 51 to 55 million in ticket sales. That's a third below. That's significant, Drew. What do you think's going on yeah. here? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been baffled by this whole thing because I went to the premiere of Lightyear last week, mm-hmm. right before I fell ill, mm-hmm. and I thought it was wonderful. I absolutely adored the movie. I thought the craft that went into it is mm-hmm. pretty unparalleled. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously very emotionally engaged with Socks the Cat and trying <laughs> to talk myself out of buying the life-size $400 version on Super7.com. Oh, no. But, um, yeah, I thought the movie totally worked. I thought everything that Angus was going for, he accomplished, mm-hmm. both in terms of exploring Buzz's backstory mm-hmm. and creating this Pixar movie that has kind of a, you know, it, it has the feel and look of a, a kind of 1970s or early 1980s sci-fi mm-hmm. adventure. Mm-hmm. So I was first baffled by the critical mm-hmm. response, and now I am extremely baffled by the box office because it, it feels like such a home run, and it is such a great theatrical experience, mm-hmm. especially if you see it in IMAX, which I have not gotten to do yet. The premiere was at the El Cap. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to try to see it in IMAX sometime this week because it's the first, I think, and only... Pixar movie to be formatted specifically for IMAX. It takes up the entire screen. So I am really looking forward to that. So, yeah, I I don't know what to make of it. I mean, there's a few theories Mm -hmm. floating around that you and I talked about beforehand. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the... the Disney Plus effect is something that I think we need to discuss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Could this be a Encanto situation where it does okay box office and then becomes a sensation when it's on the platform? Ooh. Are people trained to want Pixar movies on Disney Plus? It's also worth noting that there were nine years between the release of Toy Story 4, which again came out in June of 2019, and, and the release of, of Toy Story 3, which back in June of 2010. And more to the point that there were slightly more than 10 years between the release of Toy Story 2, uh, which was in November of 99, and the release of Toy Story 3, which was back in June of 2010. So uh, some folks are, are positing that 
given that it's only been three years since Toy Story 4 came out, that maybe this is Disney and Pixar returning to the franchise early? Though I, I would argue that this isn't a sequel or a prequel to Toy Story. This is a, an origin story for Buzz Lightyear, right? So it, it's Yeah, it's an entirely separate thing. I mm. mean, maybe that was the other problem is that people made such an insane deal about not understanding mm. the concept when it's so easy to figure out. It's just, it's it's a loosely connected mm. Pixar sci-fi adventure mm. that is awesome. I mean, that's really okay. all it is. So I agree with you, Jim. I don't think the, the year, you know, the dates are any, mm. any different because, I mean, people are always coming to this franchise new and there's always so much content. I mean, there's... There were the Forky shorts, oh, and there's absolutely. always so much stuff yeah. going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't think that was really the problem. I did hear one other thing that I guess the folks at Universal who remember have their own sequel coming out in just two weeks' time, uh, Minions, The Rise of Gru. They're a little concerned and are, you know, to the effect of, okay, is this COVID? Is his parents not wanting to take their kids back to theaters? I mean, we just, isn't it just this week we finally got the vaccines? But that's for kids under six, right? I mean, this shouldn't yeah. have impacted this at all. The other thing is that the Minions have a much shorter bar to clear mm. financially, too, right? Like, I mean, that's something that Illumination always prides itself on yeah. is that... These movies don't cost very much, and so they don't really have to make that much either, even though the the Minions mm. franchise is insane because oh, yeah. we have to remember that the Minions is a spinoff too. Mm. Like th that and they that still make true. they made a billion dollars on the first one. So I mean, who knows what the Minions is gonna do. Speaking of which, can you talk about what you'll be doing next again, of course, once you complete your recovery. Once but I yeah. Yes, I, I I should be clear in the next couple of days. I will I will be going to Minionwood next Saturday. There will be a big premiere in oh. Hollywood. Jim, you gotta love a premiere that starts at one p.m. on a Saturday, and the pre-party starts at ten. I'm sure they'll right. That tells you exactly the audience this yes. is aimed at. So so enjoy your juice box, Drew. Yes, I will. Hey, I will. I'll have, I'm sure I'll have some. You know, some flavored waffles or oh, something. But boy. Yeah, it's they're they're kind of taking over Hollywood. There's mm -hmm. gonna going to be a really cool like record pop up shop where all the records are of artists that are in the movie and they're all mm -hmm. Jim, you'll love this. Mm -hmm. They're all their nineteen seventies prices. So all LPs are just five dollars. Oh no. Um, and they're doing things I'm sure they'll be doing things at the park, obviously. And then the big world premiere at several theaters in Hollywood. I think I'll be at the TCL Chinese. So, And this is next Saturday? Is this, a this is next Saturday. They're there taking over the town, Jim. I want a full report uh, about Minionwood afterwards. And that, yes. Oh, that vinyl shop sounds so cool. Yeah, it'll be fun. Okay. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, top of the show, we mentioned, of course, that Annecy ended today. And we had Disney do a panel of size there where they, they talked about Strange World, which, again, arriving at theaters this November, we got more members of the vocal cast. First openly gay lead character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. nice. Yeah, well, okay, we, we can pretty anticipate, the, you know, what Ron DeSantis isn't going to go see this holiday season. <laughs> but what else did you take away from Annecy this year? Well, I, I appreciate, you know, they had a big push for Pinocchio and mm -hmm. Wendell and Wilde, mm -hmm. so that obviously made me very jealous. Uh, apparently the, the 
the Gendy Tartakovsky show is great. And there was that big announcement that he is kind of decamped from Sony and will be making a permanent home at uh, Warner Discovery and their kind of collection of networks, including tantalizingly that he will have access to Warner Brothers IP, which I thought was very Uh, interesting. I agree. Will we see uh, Gendy's Batman, as some have suggested? I think that would be pretty good. And, you know, the other thing is that I, I watched um, The Sea Beast, which premiered at Annecy. Oh, okay. And I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really, really wonderful. I just loved it. Mm. I thought it was great. I have no notes. I think it's a really fun throwback to kind of old school adventure films. The animation by Sony Pictures Imageworks is amazing. And it's just like... It's a Chris Williams movie through and through, and it's just beautiful and uh, really, really great. And that's on on Netflix in July. I am so happy to hear that, though I do have one question. In fact, we talked about this on the last show briefly. Buried down in the press releases for Seabees, they mentioned that this Chris Williams films will get a limited theatrical release. Have you heard anything about that? Where that's going to be? Or I haven't heard about it. I mean, that is a, that is something that I am looking into independently. Sort of like what is what is the Netflix approach to theatrical going to be? Because that seems to be a re- renewed push. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, if I, I I would love to see it on a big screen. The amount of amazing people that worked on the movie from Zach Parrish, who directed, what was that great short last year that Disney put out about the the older couple go, getting younger? Oh, oh, the dance one. That was yeah, amazing. Yeah, you again. You again, again. You again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So he's, he, he's the animation supervisor on this thing. Mm-hmm. Tony Fucili did the character designs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a, a murderer's row of talent. So to see it on the big screen would be... Really, really great. The only thing is you can't watch it again right afterwards if you watch it on the big screen. But it will be on Netflix soon enough. This is true. This is true. And and speaking of of, of Annecy, of course, again, and you mentioned Netflix, they were also there hyping some of their their series as well. And in fact, they just dropped a trailer for season two of Inside Job, which is Alex Hersagation, right? He's a, a producer. He executive produced it. I think he co-wrote a few episodes as well. Okay, which again is about the secret organization that really runs the world. And to give Mr. Hirsch credit, just this past week on Twitter, he gave animation fans, he popped the hood, so to speak. He showed how, you know, when you're making an animated series at a a giant corporation like Disney, you, you have to deal with the folks at Standards and Practices who go over your scripts, who go over everything associated with the production, and then, then hand you notes. And he put up, it was like three minutes of excerpts from emails on YouTube, right? I think it was long. I think it was longer than four minutes. I mean, they are, I mean, it's so worth watching because it's so funny. Oh, well, no, that's, um, that's it exactly. It's just, they know it about the hoo-ha, you know, and it's, just, right. <laughs> and it's like, you're going to have to cut this. This is, you know, that's a, you know, a code name for female genitalia. And it's like, no, this is Grunkle Stan, you know, I just, oh, and the, fuck, you know, the ridiculous back and forth. And you just got a sense of the fact that Alex was able to turn out a top quality show like Gravity Falls, which, by the way, just this past week, 10th anniversary, right? 10th anniversary. Yeah, I think that's why he put the thing out. But, yeah, it is 
It is so funny. It's really, really good. It's, mm. He also posted it on Twitter. Um, and Eric Bauza, who voices Bugs in the mm. new Warner Brothers shorts, mm-hmm. actually is the voice of the Standards and Practices email. So <laughs> oh, no. a lot of great animation <laughs> stuff in that. Speaking of Bugs, um, what did you make about the news about the Bugs Bunny feature that's coming? Yeah, that's really interesting. I hope it's wonderful and, and not a kind of soulless cra- cash grab. Mm-hmm. Did you see that one of the musical numbers is going to be from Little Shop of Horrors? No. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's going to be really interesting. I'm, I'm very excited uh, for it. Well, but it was kind of the one-two punch of we got the cover of the script for Joker 2, which, by the way, is also supposed to be a musical. It's sort of yeah. like... All right, correct me again. It's not Warner Brothers Discovery. It's Discovery Warner Brothers. Is that the... the no, co- I think it is Warner. I think it's Warner Warner Brothers Discovery. Okay, so you kind of... It's actually... If you go see Elvis mm-hmm. next week, mm-hmm. you will see it on the shield for the first time. Wow, is, okay. Yeah, I was I was blown away they had changed it already. But what? yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I, but again, it's just you kind of wonder what's in the water coolers over at Warner's with two musical and again a, a musical with Bugs Bunny and a musical with the Joker you know and, and yes, with, with yes. also with Lady Gaga involved as, as Harley Quinn um, it's like okay may you live in interesting times <laughs> and speaking of projects that are celebrating their anniversaries this is the 25th anniversary of the release of Disney's Hercules yeah yeah, okay. 97. Okay, and when we get back from this break, Drew and I are going to talk about two new Hercules-related projects that are coming, well, respectively, from Disney Theatrical and Disney Live Action. Look, uh, Drew, last year... Well, no, actually, this again, we, the, we keep making this... Uh, sorry, folks, this is a COVID-related mistake. You know, time has no meaning during a pandemic, so we're talking about the live stage production of Hercules that was done in Central Park as part of the Shakespeare in the Park thing, right? At the, the, right. At the Delacorte. And, yes. at, and we were talking about how it was done last year. It's like, no, this was August 31st through September 8th, 2019. So it's I, insane. All right. We're a little off on our dates here, but incredibly well-received show. And Jelena Adeline, uh, who actually played in Disney's Frozen on Broadway, I want to say he was... Christoph. Likewise, uh, Christopher Rodriguez, who, who played Wednesday in the Adams Family musical, was Meg. Roger Bart, the singing voice of Hercules from the, the original animated feature, played Hades. And then James Monroe Englehart, who played Aladdin on Broadway, played Phil. And very, very short performance. Again, just a week of shows, but it was kind of a test drive. And now we just learned that Hercules is coming back. They're going to do a production of it at the Paperwell Playhouse in New Jersey in for as part of that theater's, regional theater's 2022-2023 season. It's going to run at the paper mill between February 9th and March 12th of 2023. And Drew, the paper mill is significant uh, that Disney opted to start Hercules, you know, the, the next production of it there, because back in 2011, this is where they test drove Newsies, the stage version of Newsies, which did so well that they transferred that production, uh, which debuted in September of 2011, 
to Broadway. It, it went to the Niederlander Theater in March of 2012 and was only supposed to run till June, but ultimately ended up running through August of, of 2014 and now is a favorite of high schools and colleges around the country, you know, they're staging productions. In fact, that's supposedly... I was at the previews for that one, Jim, and I thought it was great. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I didn't realize, that too, that before it was even on Broadway, mm -hmm. it was actually designed as a traveling show. I'm so glad you bring that up because, yeah, I remember the whole notion of that set that would roll forward and back that's the idea. It was never going to go to Broadway. It was going to right. it was going to tour. And but the reviews and the reaction were so strong in the paper mill. It's like, well, we got to bring it to Broadway. And I, I remember talking with Dennis Rice, I want to say, who was the head of publicity for all of the shows on Broadway. And I remember Nancy and I were in the the lobby of the Nederlander. It was the night the show had opened. They were kind enough to invite us to it. And they were doing some press in the theater afterwards while the party was going on across the way. And Dennis was like, ah, oh, damn it. Now this show is going to run. All right. And now I have to do publicity for it. And it was just, you know, the whole notion of, you know, this is a guy whose dance card was already ridiculously full with, you know, I think Beast was still running at that point and, you know, Lion King and the like. And it was like, oh, this wasn't supposed to come to Broadway. This is supposed to go on tour. <laughs> But anyway, what particularly complicates the situation is that here is, you know, Hercules the Musical, and no news on, on a cast yet, by the way, folks. But again, doing a production at the Nederlander February or March of next year, and smart money already is given the reviews for the production of the Delacorte in Central Park back in 2019, that there's going to be life for the show after this. But did you see the announcement of the Hercules live-action movie that Disney's... I did. Yeah. I did see that. I think that it's a it's a very safe choice. Mm -hmm. It's, it's going to be Guy Ritchie who made Aladdin into somehow a $1 billion yeah. live-action hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very curious well, about it. But the other thing that, that, that particularly caught my eye was that the production company, let's say Agbo, did you see who's behind Agbo? Oh, yes. I'm very, very aware of Agbo. Yes, it's the great, uh, the Russo brothers are yeah. behind Agbo. And they they produced Everything Everywhere All at Once, mm -hmm. which if you haven't seen yet, Jim, is, is wonderful. Hot dog uh, fingers. Hot dog fingers. Hot okay. dog fingers. There we go. All right. I never felt more seen in the movie <laughs> before. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, they're they're really doing a lot of exciting, fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's cool that they're behind it. I thought they were going to install maybe somebody like uh, Sam Hargrave, who's their their longtime mm -hmm. first unit director, who did Extraction mm -hmm. with Chris Hemsworth on Netflix, which if you haven't seen, is also really great. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I think Richie has the chops to do it for sure. Oh, no doubt, no doubt, and 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 certainly what what's kind of interesting if you think about what the Russo's brothers did with superheroes and the various physiques and that sort of thing. This is Hercules, the, the musical, you know, a live action musical is, is definitely in their wheelhouse, but it's worth noting that, you know, again, we were just talking about the 25th anniversary of the release of the animated version of Hercules, but there's this weird parallel between what just went on with Lightyear in that when Hercules was released, Two theaters. And, and remember, Disney did it up big. 
I mean, they brought the Matriot Electrical Parade to New York and ran it through the streets with a, a brand new Hercules Parade. Do you know where they held the, the party after the parade? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I've done a whole, I did a whole story yeah. on this for, for, uh, for, I think, Disney Insider. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was at the Tower of the World. The top well, of actually, Jim, there were two parties, so we have to specify. Oh, that's right. That's which, right. There was yes. one down at the pier. But then if you were among the celebrities, you know, the voice talent and the filmmakers and that sort of thing, they were at the top of the world at the Twin Towers. Yeah. Windows to the world? Windows of the world. My mistake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, you had Aladdin come out in 1992 and make... 250 million domestic, which was a significant step up from Beauty and the Beast, which had done really, really well. And then 15, 18 months later, The Lion King opens in June of 1994 and makes a ridiculous amount of money. And so Disney then doubles down. There was a deliberate decision made to shift their animated features, which traditionally come out the Thanksgiving weekend into the summer slot. And so the year after that, that was Pocahontas, wasn't it? Yeah, 95 was Pocahontas. Okay, 95 was Pocahontas. 96 was Hunchback. And then in 97 came Hercules. But a curious thing happened starting with Pocahontas. Pocahontas did not make as much money as The Lion King. And the interesting thing is if you line up the box office performance for the next couple of Disney films, it's like a set of stairs. It's like Pocahontas didn't make as much as Lion King, but then Hunchback definitely didn't make as much money as Pocahontas. And then Hercules struggled to get to $100 million domestic. And that genuinely rattled folks at the studio because of, if you think about the promotional effort that they put in, yeah, they weren't spending any less money on no, these No, movies. no, 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 no. If anything, they were more expensive, and the Bancroft brothers worked on Mulan. Mulan was coming out the summer of 98, and they were already talking about the promotional campaign for Mulan. And the notion was, like, we're, we're going to do the exact same thing with Mulan that we did with Hercules. We are going to take the mainstream electrical parade. We are going to create a giant Mushu unit. And then we're going to hold our premiere in San Francisco. Interesting. Yeah. That did not happen. That did not happen. By the time Mulan came out, all super elaborate promotional things at Disney had fallen by the wayside. In fact, they, they held the premiere at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was like, I recall, I, I forget it was, if it was Tony or Tom who was complaining about the gift that literally came in a Chinese food box, you know, it's like teeny tiny little container, you know, here's your, here's your wonderful, you know, that, thanks for making your movie, get out. Well, that's interesting you bring up uh, Electrical Parade because, mm -hmm. you know, also yesterday was the 50th anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the parade oh. at Disneyland. So this is like very fortuitous, Jim, that we're talking about the Hercules premiere and that whole rigmarole. Okay, well, let's... Wasn't, <laughs> is that the only time it was outside the parks besides that uh, Super Bowl halftime show? I think you are correct. Okay. I do know that for the premiere of Pete's Dragon in New York, they did bring the Pete's Dragon float up from Florida, and it did roll. I didn't realize that that was a replacement float. Although I saw some footage online mm -hmm. of the original dragon, which was kind of a 
Asian. It was almost like Mushu, actually. It was. It was. And in fact, it, it's it's so interesting you bring up the original version of of the Main Street Electrical Parade because this was actually one of the things I, I I did a panel at Dayton Indiana about this, and I, I just want to share one story. And you've you've probably heard the 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 same story about Robert Yanni, the gentleman who again created the Main Street Electrical Parade for Disneyland. And that very first public performance where they had hired every electrician in Orange County, California, and they were working 24 hours to get this thing ready to go out the door because the folks in Chicago hadn't been able to complete the floats. But but Yanni described this moment where it's the premiere of the Main Street Electrical Parade and the electricians are working on the floats right up until they roll out, 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 out into town square. And what Yanni described is that, you know, just before they throw on the lights, all of the electricians would leap off of the float before it would then roll out into Main Street. And he said, you know, all he could think of is when they, they would jump off. It. it looked like rats jumping off of a sinking ship. Again, you know, just the effect of that, that this thing was going to be such a disaster. And they had the, the Baroque Hoedown as the theme song of the parade. And he was consulting with the audio guy. and said, well, how loud do you want me to make the music? And he said, turn it up to 11. That way, people we can't hear people say how much it sucks. Wow. I didn't realize that it was so old that it was before colored Christmas lights oh. had even been invented that they had to hand dip. They, well, it was the company in Chicago specialized in miniature. Again, remember, the inspiration for the major electrical parade was actually the, the water pageant at Walt Disney World. And also they had found some arcane reference to... They, they had. this was, Right. In fact, um, the Gilded Age... On uh, HBO, I want to say it's like the fifth or sixth episode, ends with this moment where you see the elites of New York and and the public gather around one of the very first buildings to be lit up. You get that reaction of, oh, my God, electric lights. Look at these amazing right. things. But, yeah, what Drew's referring to is that I want to say it's Ron Mizransky, I, I, I think, found the reference in some book about back in the early days of electricity. They used to effectively put lights on or bars of lights on really long extension cords and then parade them up and down the street. Yeah, it must have been that, right? I mean, there was no yeah. grid you no, know, to no, do it no. on. Yeah. But using full-size Christmas lights as somebody is walking down, you know, Main Street USA, it's like, no, this isn't going to work. But they found this company in Chicago that made teeny, tiny hand-dipped colored Christmas lights and it's like, okay, let's go with those. But that's that's where they got tripped up. The company couldn't finish anything in time and they had to hire 17 Mayflower vans and throw the partially assembled floats and all the lights in, drove them out to Anaheim and then were frantically finishing the show right up to the opening. But Can you imagine the Disney company working 24 hours on anything anymore uh, as, as we watch Tron slowly assembled uh, in Florida that has already been built somewhere else. But yeah. By the way, funny. just to, as we close out here, and of course, San Diego Comic-Con, which it's going to be a month from now, I just started talking about panels. And did you see that they're going to have a celebration of the 40th anniversary of Tron? No, I didn't see that. Yeah, just today came across that. And the story that you shared about the third Tron film, you know, and how close they came. 
Oh, yeah. I find it hard to believe that that much work was done. Also, when you tie that to the notion that, you know, here's Joseph Kaczynski having directed the biggest film of the summer, Top Gun Maverick, which as part of the, the press for this, you know, that, that he once again talked about, you know, how close we got to a Tron legacy sequel. It's like... And, and we have Disney Plus with its unending appetite for content. I, I just find it hard to believe 40th anniversary, you know, they're making a big deal of it. They're holding a celebration at Comic-Con. Uh, Drew, there's a shoe about to drop. I just feel like it. I mean, why is it a party and not a, oh, it's D23. Oh, that explains a lot. So it's just... Uh, it's just a fun thing to do? Is that all it is? I don't get it. It's crazy. Mm. So it's not an actual panel. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's, that's kind of a bummer, Jim. You had me all revved up for nothing. But. No, wait a minute. It, oh, it's D23 hosting a Tron anniversary party at San Diego Comic-Con? Yeah. Ugh. Well, boy, you and I are going to get invited. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's half uh, as good as their galactic mixer or whatever, I'm uh, sure, which okay. I did not see one thing about. Um, but yeah, that's okay. funny. Okay. Well, well, all maybe right. We'll have to do our own panel, Jim. We'll get. We'll there do we it, go. Do there we go. Yeah. But again, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. Anyway, uh, we were just just mentioned uh, Top Gun Maverick, which continues to dominate at the box office. What have you seen it yet? I have not. God, Jim. I was in Ohio. Uh, they have theaters in Ohio. Well, this is true. Okay, I have no excuse. I was I, <laughs> I was too busy searching for, for Tim Hortons. I, I broke my coffee mug. Anyway, $800 million worldwide. Biggest film of Tom Cruise's career. And given that Drew constantly shares stories about Mr. Cruise's other film franchise, the Mission Impossible films over at Light Diffuse, I cannot stress enough that if, if you're not over there listening to the shows that Drew and his equally talented, equally talented co-host, <laughs> Charles Hood, uh, you're just missing out. It, it's, it's, a, it's a great podcast that also touches on the John Wick films. We've been sick. What, what what have you been doing with this? Oh show? well, we still have great new episodes coming up, Jim. We're we're finishing up our uh, Eddie Hamilton series mm-hmm. this week, mm-hmm. and then we talked to actually Kevin Larosa Jr., who came up with the aerial photography rig that made Top Gun Maverick possible. Oh. And then we've got a couple of more shows after that, some Top Gun related shows with another very special guest. So. Still, still very much in light the fuselage mode, but um, and deservedly yeah. so. I mean, it just. It, 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 in fact, how much do you think Top Gun Maverick and continued strength at the box office is, is factors into what, what's going on with Lightyear this past? I mean, let's I don't also. Know. Re- I mean, yeah, that's true. That's another. It just keeps sticking around, and mm. it, it looks like it's going to clear a billion. So mm-hmm. it's just amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing movie, Jim. I look forward to you seeing it. Eventually. Nancy went, saw it in IMAX, and just blithered. I mean, it just sort of like, oh, my God, this was amazing. And everything, you know, just. She went it, without you, Jim? Well, I'm I'm a supportive husband. I had things to do that afternoon, and she was going out with her friends. To the, I mean, she and her ladies, her water aerobic ladies, they, they do movie days and nights, and they, they travel as a group. And even when I attend the classes, I have to stay away from them in the deep end. <laughs> uh, but no, they went and they had a great time. That's awesome. 
Yeah, you gotta you gotta see it. Anyway, yeah. Okay, and also, folks, I know uh, we talk about this every show, and in fact, it says a lot about Drew. Where he, you know, you were on your deathbed basically, but you were still able to be on Twitter and Instagram. I I was very impressed. You know, it was tough. It was tough because I ruined my my wedding anniversary, Aww. which you know that that was fun. So, okay. uh, uh, you know, still Katie. trying to be okay. still trying to celebrate and support in mm. that way. Okay, and, you know. Mm. Anyway, all right. Yes, but you can find me at Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, beyond that, got a couple other podcasts here. We'd love you to, to take a look at, folks. We got Disney Dish with Lentesta. We got Marvel Us Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. And we also have Looking at Lucasfilm. In fact, a brand new episode just went up today, uh, June 18th. And let's see, uh, beyond that, if uh, you folks could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and will not just review the show you're listening to right now, fine-tuning, but also, uh, again, Drew's terrific uh, Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse, likewise, uh, Light the Fuse Launch. Uh, and if you really, really like what you heard here, if you want to go to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Now, Drew's going to go lie down uh, yes. and get healthy. And, but we will be back with our brand new show next week. Uh, so till then, thanks for listening. <laughs>